For a Christian, there is one day of the year that stands out above the rest. A day that everything changed. Then three days later, it all changed again. A time when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This season has been commemorated throughout church history. A season of remembrance. A season of drawing near. Where believers of all kinds lay down something to the feet of Jesus and reflect on the total sacrifice He gave for us. In this season, we draw near to God because He first drew near to us. Join us as we celebrate the season of Lent. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Final Sunday of Lent. Great to have you with us here today as we uh, look forward to just really an exceptional week. And uh, one of the things that I like to do every year as we approach Easter is take some time and just walk myself through the final days of Jesus' life on earth, as well as the final 24 hours of his life. And I want to do that as we kick off this message here today. You know, the Bible tells us that on the Friday before Palm Sunday, Jesus gathered with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they had a great time of fellowship at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home in Bethany, uh, enjoyed a meal, and uh, on Saturday, it was a time of uh, rest and relaxation. They made their way up to Jerusalem from that point, and uh, Jesus, of course, rode on the colt into uh, Jerusalem to the applause of the crowd. I mean, it was a bigger applause than anything Taylor Swift would ever get. It was a bigger applause than, than uh, you know, uh, Julio Rodriguez would get after a grand slam. Now, a few less people maybe, but I want you to understand, the people were ecstatic. This was the Messiah who had been foretold. They were pinning all of their hopes and dreams on Jesus, and he had finally come, and he was right there before them. I never, am, uh, I never cease to be amazed that in just five short days later, the Jesus who came in riding a colt to the applause, the hosannas of the multitudes, left carrying a cross to Golgotha in just five short days. We read in Scripture that on Monday, Jesus cleared the temple, and then on Tuesday, he taught around the city. Wednesday was probably a, a rest day, and then Thursday was a day of uh, preparing for the, uh, the Passover. It was the night of the Last Supper, and Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then, of course, he was crucified on Friday. He laid in the tomb on Saturday. And then, of course, Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. It helps me to just kind of get my head and my mind wrapped around what Jesus endured those last few days. The last 24 hours is even more penetrating because Thursday night, Jesus gathered with his disciples from about 6 till 10, you know, commentators and scholars tell us, to, to celebrate the Last Supper. And then somewhere uh, thereafter, they made their way across the Kidron Valley up to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus began to pray, and he sweat drops of blood. It was just excruciating, and, and uh, he, was, he was full of emotion. And probably around 1.30, uh, Judas betrayed him. Jesus was arrested. He was taken back to Jerusalem. And from about 2 o'clock till 7.30 in the morning, morning Jesus went through uh, six illegal trials, culminating with the uh, judgment of Pilate. I mean, one after another, false uh, trials, you know, just, you know, a, a real mockery, a, a joke, if you will. Soon thereafter, Jesus was taken out to the praetorium where he was scourged about 8 a.m. You know, the cat of nine tails coming down on his back, bone, rock, glass, woven into that cat of nine tails, coming on the, the precious back of our Savior, literally filleted, ripped apart. 
his stomach, his back, his shoulders, his legs. He tried to carry the cross from that point. He could only get so far, and he had to have help, and finally he made it to Golgotha where he was crucified about 9 a.m., about 12 o'clock. Darkness covered the earth. About 3 o'clock, he breathed his last breath. About 6 o'clock, a little before, he was buried in the tomb. It, happened to ha- it had to happen before 6 because that's when Sabbath started. He was in the tomb on Saturday. And then, of course, he raised from the dead on Sunday. What Jesus Christ endured for us is so overwhelming that we need to find ways to stop and ponder and worship and thank him. We're going to do that in a big way on Good Friday. We're going to dress in black. It's going to be like a a funeral service as we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. Of course, Sunday, Easter Sunday, is a totally different story. How many know what I mean? That's party day. That's celebration day. That's when we celebrate the resurrection of the risen king. But we need to take time to ponder and think about what Jesus Christ endured for us, the pain that was inflicted upon him, the pain that he endured. For the past 40 days, we've been preparing our heart and mind for Easter. If we had focused on the spiritual disciplines that draw us closer to God, we've taken time to just focus on how spiritual disciplines bend our nature to the nature of Christ. Frugality and generosity fight materialism and greed. Service helps us overcome self-centeredness. And solitude and silence allow us to hear, listen, and hopefully better obey. In Matthew chapter 6, we talked about the fact that the greatest Lent sermon ever preached was the one by Jesus where he said, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, three really important spiritual disciplines. And we've really spent time focusing as kind of a foundational passage on James chapter 4, 7 through 10, where you could say that there are 10 disciplines here that James reminds us that are very important. We need to submit, resist, come near to God, wash our hands, purify our hearts, grieve, mourn and wail. We need to change our laughter into mourning and our joy. And then humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. How has your faith grown these last 40 days? How have you set aside time to focus on the various themes we talked about during each of the Sundays? Soul surrender, generous giving, passionate purpose, fervent fasting, real repentance, and today we're going to talk about sacrificial service. If we don't serve, can we really be a follower of Jesus? It's an interesting question. To be a fully devoted follower of Jesus requires that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. How well am I serving? It's a question I've been asking myself all week, and so I think it's only fair you have to now ask yourself that question, don't you think? How well am I serving? Has it become a lifestyle? Am I a servant of Jesus Christ? Leslie Newbegin, the missionary theologian author, said this, Only half of the pastor's work is gathering people together for worship, like we're doing right now. The other half is to send them back to their daily task, equipped to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I like that. 
Our mission statement is to know, grow, serve, and share. We want to know Christ, grow in Christ. We want to serve God and other people, and we want to share his love with as many as we possibly can. Serve. It's a part of who we are as Christ followers. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. You now are to be my hands. You are to be my feet. You are to be my heart. How well am I serving? I was reading a, an article this past week, and it had nothing to do with what we're talking about. In fact, I think it was a, a sports article, and, and, and some guy was writing, and the phrase just jumped off the page. He says, stop doing nothing now. He could have said, why don't you start doing something now? But he, he said, stop doing nothing now. And I thought to myself, you know, in what areas of our life where Christ has called us to step up, have we stepped off or stepped out and just kind of ignored him? One of the things we want to do here at BCA, and you see reference of this on the slide, is we want to invite everybody to find their place of ministry and service. But here's the thing I want to emphasize again today, as I've done so many times before. It's not about, hey, we're doing some stuff at the church, we need your help, or uh, hey, come on over here and let's, uh, you, know, uh, you know, help the church out. As important as it is that we do ministries as a church family, the most important thing to me is what has God called you to do? How has he gifted you? How does he want to use you? And how can we as a church help equip you and enable you and empower you and make a way for you to use the ministry that God's given you? You see, the Bible says that pastors are to equip the saints for ministry. You are a minister. How does God want to use you? And I am touched deeply, deeply moved by so many in our church family that get that and are so very actively involved in serving. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for answering God's call. Because ultimately, it's God's call in your life, not my call in your life, as much as I want to encourage. So today, ask yourself, how well am I serving, doing what God has called me to do? And there are three different things that we need to think about here today with regard uh, to having a servant heart. Th three things we need to understand. We are called to be different in three different ways. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you really are different. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do that. Just to kind of loosen things up here a little bit. <laughs> okay, some of you are enjoying that way too much. Knock it off. Uh, the first thing that we need to understand is that the mindset of the world and our car carnal nature bends us towards self-gratification. Would you agree with that? We have a carnal nature that, that we want to, you know, worship self, please self, gratify self. Man's purpose is pleasure. God's purpose for us is service. Very different. And if we're going to get it right and be the people God wants us to be, we need to do three things. First of all, we need to think different. Our mind, our mindset must be different. There's a great story in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, where James and John, two of the disciples, come to Jesus, and they say, hey, when you go to heaven, uh, you know, we'd like to sit on your right and left side. How about that? Can we have a place of, of uh, priority in your kingdom? 
And the Bible says a little bit later that the other 10 disciples are looking at them and thinking the audacity for them to think that they could have those primary seats. My goodness, how selfish can you get? And Jesus says, well, James and John, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to enter into? In other words, I'm going to go to the cross and be crucified for the sins of the world. And they didn't know what they were saying exactly. He said, yeah, yeah, we're all in, we're all in. Jesus says, well, you are going to experience the baptism. All the disciples were martyred. But to give you the right and left, that's not for mine to give. And then he offers these powerfully penetrating words that I want us to focus on. He picks it up a little bit later. And he says that Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. You are to be different. Instead of doing it the way they do it, I want you to do it the way I want you to do it. Whoever wants to become great must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, James and John, you have it totally wrong. Totally backwards. You're upside down. You're inside out. We need to turn you right side up. If you want to be great, it's about servanthood. Be a servant. Be a servant. And then Jesus in the Gospels, two of times here and one time in Matthew chapter 10, he talks about three paradoxical statements that really drives this home. The first two here in Mark chapter 10, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. And then in Matthew chapter 10, he says, if you want to find life, you've got to lose it. Wow, that sounds so counterintuitive. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to find life, you're supposed to lose it. This seems backwards. This seems upside down. Jesus said, that's the way of my kingdom. Man's thought's all about acquire, achieve, assert. God is all about serve, be selfless, and sacrifice. Paul understood this. He got it right. In Philippians chapters 2, he says this. In your relationships with one another, have this same mindset, the same mentality. Think like Jesus thinks. Think like Jesus thinks. Who, being in the very form God, did not think equality with God was something that he needed to grasp after. But he humbled himself. He became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. He humbled himself, and he went to the cross. A completely different mentality is the mentality that Christ wants us to have. Totally different. We descend into greatness. Down is up. Last is first. Least is greatest. How's your thinking? How's your mentality? How's your mindset? Is it all about you, 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 you? 
Or is it all about others, 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 others? When we think of people who have their thinking all messed up, it's easy to think of the extremes. We think of people like Adolf Hitler. I mean, the guy was absolutely a lunatic. Talk about crazy thinking. But the danger with that is that we can give ourselves a pass by thinking of those extremes. And so therefore, it doesn't apply to us. But I want to apply it to us here today, and I want to do it by reminding you of something you've read before, you've heard before, and that is the 1% rule, the one degree rule. You know what that means? The one degree rule states that for each degree a plane veers off course, it will miss its destination by one mile for every 60 miles it flies. So, if you're flying to Hawaii from San Diego, you're going to miss the island by 42 miles by being off by just one degree. So instead of having a great vacation, a great holiday, you're going to be going swimming out in the Pacific. Not quite what you had in mind. Well, it becomes extremely painful when I remind you of the story that some of you might remember when in 1979, 257 people left New Zealand to fly to Antarctica. And they were excited. The pilots were seasoned veterans. Everybody thought everything was going great, but they were off by two degrees. They thought they were going in the right direction. They thought they were on target. They thought everything was great, but they flew, boom, right into Mount Erebus. Everybody killed because they were off just two degrees. Again, they thought everything was right, but they were wrong. And if we think everything's right, but we are not living, loving, and leading like Jesus, then not everything is right, something is wrong. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to understand to be great in God's kingdom is to be servant of all, servant leadership. Today we live in a day where we kind of pick and choose who we like and who we don't like. We can't stand folks who think different than us, who think wrongly than us. But what would happen if we tried to reach out to them with a servant mentality? What if we reached instead of reamed people out? What if we served instead of screamed? What if we loved instead of demeaned? You say, that's impossible. You know how crazy people are today? Yeah, yeah, I have a little inkling. Believe me. It's impossible. There's just no way that would ever work. Well, if St. Patrick, we talked about him last week, would have listened to everybody that told him what was impossible, you can't reach the barbarians in Ireland, he would have never started a 28-year mission. He would never have reached hundreds, uh, even thousands of people for, for Christ. He wouldn't have baptized thousands. He wouldn't have ordained a thousand ministers. He wouldn't have reached 50 of the 150 tribes and, and helped them become mostly Christian. There's a lot of things he wouldn't have even tried if he would have listened to people who said it was impossible, but he said, God has called me, Christ has compelled me, I'm going to go and I'm going to believe him to make up the difference so the impossible can happen. He's the one that tells us how to think, not up to us to choose if 
we want to be his disciple. If I'm going to serve sacrificially, I need to think like Jesus thinks. I need to be careful what I think. I need to be aware and concerned about what and how I think. And secondly, we need to feel different. Feel, passion, compassion. These are the things that drove Jesus. Are they the same things that drive us? We are to live, love, and lead like Jesus with the same passion and compassion that Jesus Christ displayed. Let me ask you a few questions. Does the pain and plight of others mean anything to you? Do you care about the down and out, the suffering, the homeless, and the misguided? Do you truly love the sinner and hate the sin, or do you hate the sin and hate the sinner? Do you, do I, do we live our lives to live, love, and lead like Jesus, or is that just a cute slogan on a sweatshirt and a t-shirt, but it really doesn't penetrate the inner parts of our being? We live in a cancel culture, toxic talk, minimize and trivialize other people, disrespect and discount others' world. If you think different than me, you're disregarded. If you live different than me, you're discounted. If you're different in any way that matters to me, you're disrespected. And yet Jesus championed the very people who were unacceptable to the society of his day. There was an unwritten rule in Jesus' day about who was valuable, about who was worthless. Even to the Jews, the religious aristocracy, there was a circle drawn around folks that were unworthy and undeserving of love, empathy, compassion, and help. Unworthy to everybody except one, Jesus. You see a few of them listed on the screen. The diseased, if you had a sickness, you're booted out of the city, you're out on the outskirts, don't come into the city. We don't wanna mess with you, we don't wanna bother with you. A great example is a woman who had the blood disease for 12 years, she spent all of her money searching for every physician, trying to find healing and hope, and she was rejected at every turn, she spent all of her money, nobody could help her, except she heard about this Jesus character and she snuck into the city so she could touch the bottom of his coat and she was instantly healed. But the diseased were on the list of people that didn't matter. So were the blind and the lame, the prostitute, Children were insignificant. The leper, the demoniac. There was great prejudice in that day against race and gender. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well is a powerful story that communicates it in such a potent way. The poor were a bother. The alien was a problem. We say, man, that's terrible. How could they be so absurd? And yet we have our list today. We have our list today. Christians have their list today. And yet, Jesus has called us to feel different. To, to have compassion and passion and uh, pathos and ethos and, and, and to feel as he feels toward other people. We're to hurt with those who hurt, cry with those who cry, feel the pain of others, pray for the misguided. 
We've all heard the statement and we've laughed at it. Hey, who died and made you king for the day? And we laugh and, you know, it's really funny. But the reality is we need to ask ourselves this question. Who died and made you judge and jury? Who died and made you king of who matters to God? Who made you the one who gets to circle the people that are important and valuable and really matter? If you care and you think about it, that's brutal. Who matters to God? Every single person. As we come to Good Friday of this very week and celebrate what Jesus did on the cross, remember this. He went to the cross and he died for every single person. The most misguided, the most abusive, the most uh, sinful, the most evil. He died on that cross for every single person because every single person matters to Jesus. Everybody. A scripture that is uh, so impactful in my life is it found in Luke 15. And we know it as the chapter that talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And you remember the story very well, so we don't have to read it. But there's 100 sheep, 99 are safe and accounted for, one's lost. There's 10 coin, nine are in hand, but one's lost in the house. And there's two sons, one is safe at home, the other's gone rogue. And the whole point of those three stories, as you look at them in total, is that somebody is some, or something is lost, and that really, really matters the master, to the father. And there's an all-out search to find the one that was lost. It's not that those that are safe and at home are unimportant, but they're, they're doing okay. They're fine. They're accounted for. It's the lost that are vulnerable. That becomes the focus. That becomes what the master or the father is focused on because they're vulnerable they're in a position of, of being destroyed and maybe lost forever. And when they're finally found, there's great celebration and great rejoicing. That which was lost has now been found. Welcome home. Jesus said the distinguishing sign of a Christian is love. They will know you are my disciples by your love. And so the question we need to ask ourselves this Passion Week, when Jesus Christ came because of love for all, is how well am I doing at following him? How well am I doing at loving others? There are 750 leper colonies in India today. Even after all the medical work and cures and everything that's happened, about 200,000 people live in leper colonies before some of the medical uh, attention and help and, and uh, you know, discoveries, these people would be quarantined for their entire life. But now there's some help. And there's people that go and they serve there. They live, love, and lead like Jesus to help people in a very dirty, difficult, uninspiring environment because they care. We all know of Mother Teresa 
Whenever I travel Albania, I think of the most famous Albanian I know, and that's Mother Teresa. I don't know her, but uh, I know of her. You know her story. Albanian, Indian, Catholic nun, founded homes for people dying of HIV, AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis, soup kitchens, orphanages. She lived and loved like Jesus, not because it was a slogan or kind of a cute phrase, but because it was the mission of her life. You say, Rob, that is, that's a tall order. How, how am I, how are any of us to be, be like Mother Teresa? Well, none of us have been asked to be Mother Teresa, but Christ is looking to you and me to feel toward others as he feels toward others, to, to live, love, and lead like Jesus in our sphere, in our world. Finally, we are to act different. We're to think different, we're to feel different, and we're to act different. We have just a couple minutes here, but let me remind you of the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. As they're getting ready for, for Passover meal, he, he gathers everybody together, and what's interesting to me is that while he's about to wash their feet, you know, Judas is conspiring to betray Jesus, and Jesus is aware of this, as the Scripture tells us, and all of this is going. I mean, the emotions that Jesus must have been feeling. He's taking care of the disciples. He's teaching them. He's about going to be betrayed. You know, pretty soon he's going to be arrested. He's going to be scourged, beaten to an inch of his life, and then he's going to die the most painful, excruciating death on the cross. You think you've had a hard day? Imagine being Jesus, dealing with all of those emotions. But being Jesus, he was concerned about his disciples and he wanted to make sure they understood that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to be a servant. And so he started to wash feet. They got to Peter and Peter said, you're not washing my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. And he said, well, in that case, wash all of me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've had a bath. I don't need to do that. But I need to wash your feet. Because in that day, as you know, walking around in sandals and dirty uh, uh, dirt roads and, and all, you had a lot of stinky, smelly feet. And when they would come into the homes, there was always a servant that would wash the master's feet. Never, ever, ever would the master wash the servant's feet. Never. And so what Jesus was doing was turning things upside down, actually right side up. And he was communicating to them what he wanted them to do. And so he washed Peter's feet. And he said, I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done. Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. How do we wash feet today? We find a hurt and heal it. We, we see a, a void and fill it. We look for pain and address it. We step out of our comfort zone and ask Christ to help us be like him, to think like him, to feel like him, and now to act like him and find feet to wash. Jesus came to serve. Jesus lived to serve. Jesus died to serve. And now Jesus calls us to serve. 
What on earth are we here for? Not to pursue pleasure, but to serve. Viktor Frankl said, when a man can't find deep sense of meaning, he distracts himself with pleasure. For Jesus, it was never about pleasure. It was always about service and saving the world. I've been sent to serve and save the world. And now I want you to follow in my footsteps and be my hands and feet and heart. As the Father sent me, I now send you. So this Palm Sunday, as we kick off Passion Week, I want us all to ask, Lord Jesus, how can I become a more sacrificial servant? How can I walk in your footsteps and serve? How can I think more like you and feel more like you and, and, and behave and act and respond more like you? How can I be used of you in greater ways in the year ahead than I have been in the year that's just passed? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be servant. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to find life, lose it. Service bends our nature toward the nature of Jesus. Our human nature is such that man's quest is for pleasure and comfort. But to Jesus, man's search for meaning is always going to be found in service. How well are we serving? Lord, I thank you for this opportunity today for us as a church family to just take a few moments this Passion Week and examine our own hearts. On this last Sunday of Lent, Lord, as we look inward and ask ourselves the important question of how well are we serving, God, we pray that you'll speak clearly and pointedly to us. Convict us, Lord, where we need to be convicted. Help us repent where we need to repent. And give us faith, God, to follow more fully. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would be here today, whether online in the chapel or right here in this main auditorium, how many would uh, just lift a hand and say, today, I need to start by committing my life to Jesus Christ. I want to commit or recommit my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand all over this place? Obviously, if you're online or in another venue, I can't see that, but the important thing, God sees it. So I encourage you to raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. What a powerful, powerful week for us to commit or recommit our life to Jesus Christ. And Lord, on behalf of everyone within the sound of my voice, those of us that have committed our life to you in the past, we recommit our life to you. We surrender our all to you. God, we want to be faithful followers of Jesus like never, ever before. God, I pray that you'll be with us this week as we share the good news of God's love with more and more people. Lord, that there will be many, many that will come to hear of Jesus' love, many for the first time, and say yes to Christ. As we close this service, Lord, I pray your blessing upon everybody that's here. I know some are carrying some heavy, heavy burdens. Some I know of and many I don't, but God, we give them to you. We cast all our cares on you because you care for us. And we know that the Jesus who died on that cross because of his love for us and rose from the dead in great power is available to help us rise above whatever challenges we find ourselves in today. And we give them to you. We surrender them to you. 
Let's stand to our feet, friends, all over this place. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And we're going to sing a song here in a moment. Our tradition service is going to uh, be led by the host pastor there as well as our online campus. But right now here in this main auditorium, I want to invite you to step out from where you are and find someone to pray with here at the front. Maybe you want to stand in for a friend who's going through a really struggling time right now. We're going to sing, then we're going to be dismissed. God bless you.